But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper comparable to him. Those are important words because too often we go across them quickly and maybe at times even flippantly. But as we see these particular verses, verses 15 through 18, there are three characteristics of a godly individual, and in fact, an individual that would be worth the marriage. The first one is humility. Humility. Now, what you have to recognize is the fact is that Adam was created from dirt. God picked up dirt from the earth, fashioned it the way and made it the way that he wanted it to be, and then he breathed life into it. When you realize that we've come from dirt... It puts us in a pretty humility situation. And recognizing, too, that the fact that if God didn't breathe, we wouldn't breathe. The Apostle Paul says it just a little bit different. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, We ought not to think more highly of ourselves than who we are. Humility. Humility in its definition, the simplest definition is this. Understanding our proper place. Understanding our proper place. One individual said it well when he said, We come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. That puts life in a perspective of being humble. In other words, all of the talents, all of the gifts, all of the abilities that you have have come from one source and one source only. That's God. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves, the psalmist says in Psalm 100. For we are the sheep of His pasture. He knows everything about us. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He has gifted us. He has purposed in our lives for one thing and one thing only, and that is to honor and glorify Him. Because that's just about all that dirt can do. Humility. Young ladies and young men, I I caution you. The individuals that maybe you have your eyes focused upon, look at their character. 
Are they humble or are they brash and boastful? And that's information you need to know prior to walking down an aisle. What's the individual say about themselves? Most importantly, what does the individual say about God? Humility. The second aspect or characteristic that that we come from this passage is in verse 15. God gave Adam a responsibility. A responsibility. He placed him in the garden and was given strict and direct instructions as to what he was to do. He was to tend and keep the garden. The word tend literally means to take care of the things that are there. To keep means to protect it from outside forces who would try their best to ruin a perfect situation. He was given a responsibility. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you realize that work is not a curse? It is a blessing from God given to us for the purpose of developing in us that which is responsibility. We have a responsibility. And responsibility that was given to to Adam and to us is we've all been given a garden to tend. Whether we work in the outside workforce, whether we stay home and take care of our children, no matter what we do, we have been given a garden to tend and to keep. And in that, we learn responsibility. Each of us has a God-given task to do. And you young people, before you work down the aisle, walk down the aisle, look and see if the one you want to walk down the aisle with is working to what God's called them to do. Too often in the educational realms that I've had to walk, I've heard individuals say, well, once I graduate, I'm going to do this. Usually what happens is you don't get to do that. Because if you're not busily engaging yourself and tending and keeping the garden that God has for you now, you're not going to get another acre to tend and keep. Watch their lives. What are they doing with their time? What are they doing with their money? What are they doing with their lives? Responsibility. 
God gave to Adam a responsibility to uphold. But I think the last one is the the most crucial. Accountability. God gave to Adam strict instructions. Instructions that included, you may eat of all of the fruit in the garden. Except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was given instructions. It says that the Lord God commanded the man. The instructions as we know were given were at that time pretty simple. Do you work? And pay attention to what I have to say. We don't know how long it is between the break of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. But it's not long before we realize that Adam didn't do what God told him to do. Adam was to instruct his wife and to give her from God the instructions that he received. And the tragedy of the situation was as he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Because when the satanic snake slithered up to the tree. The woman had a different answer than the command of God. And I truly believe that Adam was standing right there next to her. And he didn't intervene. He wasn't listening He wasn't being held accountable to what God wanted him to do and to be and to say. And thus, we have the situation that we find ourselves in today. Sin. Humility. Responsibility. And accountability. And dear young people, that's the characteristics, that's the qualities that you need to find in the one whom you wish to spend the rest of your life with. Don't get hooked up with an individual who will drag you down. Do not lower your standards in order to fulfill a desire. Hold fast. In God's faithfulness, He will bring to you someone who is humble. Someone who is responsible. Someone who is willing to be accountable.
And the reason I share that with you is because that's what God gave to Adam before he was married. He was single. He lived by himself. And the dynamic thing of it is, is that God then gave him another instruction to begin naming all of the other created creatures known as animals. He started off grandly. Brontosaurus. Hippopotamus. But as the day went by, he said, fly. Ant. Be. But the one thing he recognized is that, where's mine? Not spending a whole lot of time on this, but I do want to draw yourself, your eyes to an interesting word because it says that God said, it is not good. Up to that point, everything that God did, He finished the day by saying, it is good. And for the first time in the Scriptures, we hear God say, This isn't good. It's not good for man to live alone. But notice, the young lady was not created from dirt. Now get this, she was fashioned from a rib. That is a huge word. Don't let it roll off of your tongue before you've allowed your eyes to capture its true meaning. In other words, God knew exactly what Adam needed. And so he fashioned this young lady for that purpose. Now, here's the rub. Before you go chasing after good looks, you better be asking God, what is it that I need? And let Him provide the one that He fashions for you. Now in the next 17 minutes, I've got to cover these other points. Now turn with me to Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is easy to find. You find Matthew. Go to the left. And you'll come to Malachi. One day, a boy lost a very expensive contact lens. He looked and looked, but he couldn't find it. So, he goes and asks his mother to help him. She found it in a matter of minutes. 
And her son asked this interesting question, how could you find my contact lens in just a few minutes when I've been looking for over 15 minutes? The mother said, that's easy. You were looking for a contact lens. I was looking for $250. (laughs) What we value determines the energy we will spend and not just finding it, but keeping it. Someone wrote that statement that's on your study guide when it says, in order to restore our homes, churches, and communities, we must restore our families. And to do that, we must function as God intended. The valuableness of it. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 It says these words, and this is the second thing you do. Malachi is full of God having a discussion with the nation of Israel and how they have walked away from him. This is the second thing that you do. You cover the altar with tears. You weep, or with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. They were doing the religion, but they had forsaken a relationship. The reason that we get the answer to this from the prophet Malachi is the reason that God is not, he is not paying attention to you is based on the next verse when he says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord God has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. And yet she is your companion and your wife by Covenant. Covenant. I'm afraid too often that the the marriage covenant has been regarded more as a custom than what God intended it to be. A custom is that which is regionally different. A covenant, though, on the other hand, is God-ordained. A custom is arranged for peace. A covenant, on the other hand, is relationally constant. A custom is that which is executed religiously. But a covenant is the essence established for the kingdom. 
The reason in Malachi, the reason that God was not paying attention to their weeping and wailing at the altar is that they have broken the covenant of family. They had forsaken the ones whom God had fashioned for them and they went looking for other fantasies. And God says, your religion is nothing. I'm not even paying attention because you have forgotten my covenant. So from that one verse alone, we, we understand that God has given us a description of marriage. And the description is this. Marriage is a covenant established by God. It's a covenant. That's foreign to our thinking. Because we're more caught up on the custom instead of the covenant. And throughout scriptures, God has given many covenants. There are those that are called conditional. A conditional covenant is something that God will do if the people will do something. An unconditional covenant doesn't depend upon the reactions or even the, the institution of the man or people or nation. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Let me give you an illustration. The Abrahamic covenant is a covenant that is unconditional because God was beginning to develop from one individual, a family, Abraham and Sarah, a whole nation was going to come from them. And it was unconditional because God called Abram at that time. He put him in a sleep. And then God took animals and split them. And he walked through the middle of them to establish this unconditional covenant. Do you want to know why the nation of Israel is never going to be wiped off the face of the earth? Because God said so. doesn't matter what man says. God said, these are my people. And from that moment, the evil one's been trying to wipe out the nation of Israel because if he can wipe out the nation of Israel, then he can destroy the image of God. That's an uncon that is an unconditional covenant that God has made, but there are conditional ones too. One that I hope all of you have come to know and understand. God promised a covenant for salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's conditional in the fact of will you or will you not believe? I trust you all have. But God says His description of marriage and family is a covenant. And so precious is that covenant that if we begin to mess with it, 
we will lose the blessing of God. Someone made mention of, I think it was was Michael on on Thursday morning at our teen prayer uh, time together, did a super job on the the first three Beatitudes of of Matthew chapter 5. Super job. And we came to the one about meekness. And he made mention of the fact that in his study that Moses is, was, was highlighted as being one of the meekest individuals of history. And we talked a little bit about that. And I, and I said to the class, I said, Moses was such a way that he had the ear of God. Whatever he talked to God about, God paid attention And the reason that is, is because God had His heart. If you want the ear of God, then let God have your heart. And the heart that God has for the family, and for the foundation of the family, He calls it a covenant. That's His description. But the second part of that is just as important. It's the transcendence of the marriage covenant, or in the marriage covenant, transcendence. We looked at this a little bit two weeks ago when we were in Genesis chapter 1 and then compared that to Genesis chapter 2, because in Genesis chapter 2, the name of God is changed from Elohim, chapter 1, Creator, In chapter 2, it's Lord God, meaning superior over all that He's created. Transcendence literally means, in the marriage covenant, transcendence means, is God over the marriage? Is He the center of the marriage? Young ladies and young men, before you get married, make sure that you've got God in the center through Jesus Christ. Are you going to allow Him to rule and to guide by using His marriage manual? Will you pay attention to what He has to say in order for you to be blessed because the blessings of God don't come just before we just because we think we deserve them they come for the purpose that God would be glorified in the situation and also in the future as we use those blessings for him And in a world today, in a nation, in a state, in a community today that needs to see the blessing of family, it is now. The foundation is the covenant. But the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ, transcendent in the marriage. I'm not a builder, nor am I, well, I am a son of a builder. My stepdad was a great carpenter. But all I know is this, 
if the foundation isn't straight, the building's not going to stand. And for the foundation to stand and be straight, the chief cornerstone has to be perfectly laid. The Apostle Paul brings this out in the book of 1 Corinthians when he talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone that was laid for the church. It's perfect. And the foundation upon that will be strong. One of the basics of the foundation of marriage is Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And forget the looks. There's opportunity for surgery to correct any flaw. But look at the heart. Is the heart set on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Is He transcendent? in the possible mate so that he'll be transcendent in the family. But we have an enemy. And it doesn't take us long as we go back to Genesis chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. But there are two points of strategy that Satan tries to dismantle families. The first one is this. He tried to get us to willingly remove ourselves from under God's transcendence. He wants to move us from the authority of God and His Word. The second thing that he did And he continues to do. He wants us not only to remove us, but then he wants us to operate under his authority instead of God's. How did he do that? Well, you know. Eve, first of all, disobeyed God. And when that happens, when the evil one gets us to move away from God's authority and to connect to His authority, then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve began to misappropriate their places of authority. It's an interesting text in Genesis chapter 3. I advise you to go back and read it. Our time won't let us do that this morning, but you go back and read it. For it says there that the woman desired the man. That has nothing to do with his sexual connotation. She wanted his place. I want to rule the roost. And Adam stood back and let it happen. 
Don't ever allow the forces of darkness to disrupt God's alignment for the family. And lastly, but God does have a divine use for the family. His divine use, as we see throughout Scripture, was begun by the family. He told Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth. After Noah and his family, only a total of eight individuals left. Four separate families. He told them, multiply, fill the earth. When we get to Genesis chapter 18, he used Abraham and Sarah to develop the whole nation of Israel. As the stars in the heavens are, so shall your descendants be. God's divine purpose for the family is that they would be world changers for His glory. Don't you see why the family has come under attack? It is to discredit the glory of God. But if we pay attention to the foundation. And we begin to build upon it by the principles of the master builder through his wonderful manual. Churches can be changed. Communities can be affected. States can be changed. And yes, even our country can be changed if we lay hold of the foundations of family. Let's pray. God, how we need You. Too often we have walked our own way. We have turned everyone to their own likes and dislikes. But I thank you that you've given us hope. The hope that is in your word is that we can change and turn this thing around. I pray, oh God, for our families. I pray that we would know and understand your description, your desire, and your determination for families. And may we, O oh Lord God, purpose in our hearts and our minds, yea, even the depths of our souls, we would purpose to let you have the preeminence that you so rightly deserve. 
For it is in the name of Jesus Christ I ask these things. Amen.